Hello and welcome to the From My Perspective podcast. I am your host, Marcus, and we have a lot of stuff to get into today. We have the college football playoff coming out. I'm going to give you my predictions. We have the NFL trade deadline still upon us. It is 108 at the time of this recording. We have some NBA, but let's start with the NFL trade deadline. So far, we have three trades between the Seattle Seahawks and the Houston Texans. We have the San Francisco 49ers and the New England Patriots. We have the Miami Dolphins and the Philadelphia Eagles. And let's start with the, the, the Seattle Seahawks and the Houston Texans. The two teams played an excellent game, the game of the year, this past Sunday, and now they make a big-time swap with one another. The Seahawks received Texans left tackle Dewan Brown, and the Texans received Jeremy Lane, a 2018 fifth-round pick, and a 2019 second-round pick. That's a pretty good haul for Houston. They beef up their secondary. They get a mid-late first-rounder and an early pick for next season which means the Texans have a lot of trust in journeyman Chris Clark and rookie offensive tackle Julian Davenport, a four-year starter at Bucknell and a consensus FCS All-American. Now, Brown did just play one game this season. He's had a history of not liking the owner. It wasn't these previous comments. He's had a history of disdain for the owner. And the Texans felt they just had to trade him. But despite him not liking the owner, this doesn't make a lot of football sense. The Texans are trading away a multiple-time All-Pro, a pro bowler, a guy who gave up just one sack last season in 12 games. And business-wise, I can see why they moved him. He's going to make $9.75 million next season. That's up from $4.9 million this year. And, but as a football team, you have Deshaun Watson. He's already been beat up this season. I mean, the Texans' O-line is nothing to you know, boast about. They give up the third most sacks allowed. They have the eighth most QB hits allowed. They can't afford to give up any lineman, especially not a quality lineman like Dewan Brown. But nonetheless, they have moved him, and now they have to fill that void with a guy who I don't think is going to be as reliable. He's had one holding call and one sack allowed in 12 games last season. Now, I understand he had to go. He didn't like the owner. He didn't like the organization, so he had to go. But as for Seattle... Give yourself a pat on the back. Yes, you moved an early pick next season. You know, I love early round draft picks. I'm I'm cheap about that. I, I can't trade those. But you did it for the right player. DeWan Brown, you need offensive line protection, and you've upgraded it without having to move Jimmy Graham, without having to move one of your premier players. You got rid of Jeremy Lane, who's, who's a good player, but okay. I mean, he's not one of your core members. The Seattle Seahawks, they... I'm thinking they won this trade. You got what you needed. The Seahawks are prepping for a Super Bowl run, and they know they couldn't do it with the current state of their offensive line, so they went out and got the most important position at left tackle. Now let's move it over to the Philadelphia Eagles, who acquired Pro Bowl running back Jay Ajay from the Miami Dolphins in exchange for a fourth-round pick. And this solidifies the Eagles as my NFC favorites. I, they have almost everything you'd want. All they needed was an every down back, and that's J.H.I. They have LeGarrette Brunt, a great third down back and goal line back. They have Wendell Smallwood as an offset speed back. They still have Darnell Pumphrey. They They have what they need to contend. They have good receivers. They have Carson Big Time making plays. They're getting Ronald Darby back. Their defense, they're not on the field that long because the offense is so good. So they know their defense isn't they're necessarily the strongest unit. So they keep their offense on the field. And now you add a running back that can add a whole different element to the team. The Eagles are a dangerous team. J.H.I. last season lit it up on the ground. Over 1,200 rushing yards. 
he's also a pretty good pass catching back. And now with Wentz, without uh, Pro Bowl left tackle Jason Peters, one of the better left tackles in the league, actually one of the best, in my opinion, he now has a reliable guy to dump the ball off to. You can send a guy out in the flats. You can run a couple screens. And now Carson Wentz doesn't have to hold on to the ball so long and take so many hits and depend on his like what Green Bay does, where they depend on him to make magic. Now you have a guy like Jay Ajay who you can send out in the flats and Carson, Carson Wentz can dump, off, dump it off to. This was a big-time move for the Philadelphia Eagles, and this really just improved their entire unit. And I'm going to go out and say it right now. We are going to see a New England Patriots-Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl this season. This is a rematch of Super Bowl XXXIX. <laughs> where the Patriots defeated the Donovan McNabb-led Eagles team 24-21. to This is going to be a rematch of that Super Bowl. And now speaking of New England, they also were a part of a big-time trade. They've officially parted ways with quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo in exchange for a 2018 49er second-round pick. This is a franchise-changing decision on both sides. The 49ers can now use their early-round pick, which is likely going to be a top, you know, one-to-five pick, and build this team around Jimmy Garoppolo. They can start pairing him with stars. They can start building up that defense. They can give him other options at wide receiver. He does have Pierre Garçon. They can start building this franchise without having to use that early pick on one of these quarterbacks in this loaded class. The 49ers are in good position finally. I knew John Lynch knew what he was doing, and I trusted in Kyle Shanahan. He elevates every quarterback he touches. Now give him a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo who has shown he can take care of the ball, he can make plays. They're set at quarterback. And then in the news, in the wake of this, they're, they're cutting quarterback Brian Hoyer, who I think New England is going to sign because he's been in that system, and he, and, he, and he knows the playbook, so there's no need to bring a whole new guy in. You already traded your two backups. So as for San Francisco, they're good. As for New England, I don't – They New England knows they can draft a franchise quarterback. Jacoby Brissett, I think he's a, he's a solid starter in the NFL for some team. Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, is a franchise guy, and obviously Tom Brady is an all-time great. They think they know they can draft another quarterback in the mid, late, in the third round, in the early rounds. The Patriots have drafted the second most quarterbacks out of any team, and they've had Tom Brady. And they basically traded Jimmy Garoppolo for a first-round pick because – San Francisco, they're not going to win any games this year, even with Jimmy. Their pick's going to fall between 33 and 35, which is essentially a first-round pick. You see teams trade back for those all the time because they're essentially a first-round pick. And the Patriots are also inquired about building this team. It's going to look a lot like that 16-0 team if they can land the, mega, the rights to Calvin Johnson, Megatron, from Detroit. They can move this pick. Detroit wants something for him. If you're, if you're going to let him back in the league, he's retired, so Detroit owns his rights. New England, we can toss you a fourth-rounder for it. They can even, they're not, I don't think they're going to trade this 49ers pick, but they can offer you that fourth-rounder or third-rounder for the rights to Megatron. If I'm Detroit, I take it. The, the Patriots also dabbled with the Colts, who they seem to trust a lot. They gave him Jacoby Percet. He's working out nicely. What do you want for T.Y. Hilton? They can use this. This 49ers pick will get them T.Y. Hilton. They've inquired with the Seahawks. What do you want for Jimmy Graham? The Patriots are going to, they're trying to build something special. And if it's not, the Patriots are in a good position to go out and get some more talent to build this team in the offseason. They weren't, well, they can't afford to pay Jimmy if Tom Brady wasn't going to retire. And the Patriots can now do that without worrying about having to pay Jimmy Garoppolo big time bucks. Because if 
Tom Brady's not retiring, apparently. Tom Brady's in this thing for the long haul, apparently. And I think Bill Belichick knows that. I think he and Tom Brady are going to retire together, and they have two more good years together. They have Tom Brady this year, and then they have next year. Because if they win this year, they can go with their seventh in the NFL record for the most Super Bowls by a franchise. I think we have two more years of Brady, Belichick, and this is the ultimate move. They're going to bring in Brian Hoyer because Bill Belichick doesn't really think Tom Brady's going to get hurt. He hasn't really been hurt since when, 2013? So he's putting all his eggs into one basket, something he usually doesn't do. But this is going to be special. New England is all in on winning these next two Super Bowls. And as a sports fan, I love it. I love seeing dynasties. I love seeing dominance. And I love seeing greatness. I I wouldn't rather have it any other way. Let's go from trades to suspensions. Another big story that came out last night was Ezekiel Elliott's six-game suspension was upheld by the courts. And I knew it should be and would be. Zeke never showed me or even said that he was innocent, which led me to believe he actually did it. I would have given him the benefit of the doubt. But five separate incidences in a three-day span is trying to be suspended. You are begging the NFL and Roger Goodell, hey, look, suspend me. And because you can't be, that's no one's that unlucky. You are looking for trouble at that point. And now... What a lot of people are asking is, is this season ending for Dallas? And I'm going to go ahead and say yes, because now Dak Prescott's going to have to throw more than 30 times per game. That's something they really don't want Dak doing. And let me explain. That's not how the Cowboys offense works. They're not a very good offense without distinct balance. And I'm not just saying that. Dak Prescott, for his career where he's had to throw more than 30 passes, is 6-4. and four. One into this season, Dak Prescott for his career when throwing 30 or less passes is 11 and 0. He's never lost not having to throw 31 plus game, 31 plus passes per game. And looking at the Cowboys schedule, they're in trouble without Zeke versus Kansas City at Atlanta versus Philly versus the Chargers versus the Redskins and at the Giants. I see two and four. With the only wins being versus Washington and at the Giants. Because the Giants are a hot mess. And I don't even know what Washington is. It's Kirk Cousins and anyone who signs up to play wide receiver. The Cowboys might squeak out and go 3-5 and five and be 7-6, and six, which would actually be a lot better position if the Chargers find a way to lose that game. Because if the, if the Cowboys go 2-4, and four, you're looking at 6-7. and seven. You're not making the playoffs this year with 7 losses. If they can go three and five and be seven and six and ten and six, you should be able to get in. But I see the Cowboys going two and four. This is, this can't be a plus for any Cowboys fans. I see a lot of Cowboys fans saying, "We'll get Zeke back nice and rested for the playoffs." What playoffs are you going to? Ezekiel Elliott is a critical part of this offense, and he was finally getting into the rhythm. The Cowboys' offense was finally looking like that dominant Cowboys offense. They were looking. Zeke was looking like Zeke again. Three straight 100-yard games, two straight 145-plus-yard games. And boom, everything comes to a crippling halt. The Cowboys season is done. It is over. We'll be back on the other side with some college football. Welcome back to the From My Perspective podcast. I am Marcus, your host. And now let's get to the story that would have led today's show if it wasn't for all that NFL news. And that's the college football playoff rankings, which are to be released tonight by the committee. And we had another wild weekend. Ohio State pulls off the 14-point comeback over rival Penn State. Mostly the JT Barrett having a career-defining, and I think the best game of his career. 
33 for 39, 328 yards, and four touchdowns. Iowa State defeats number four in the country, TCU, 14-7. Northwestern upsets number 16 in the country, Michigan State, in triple overtime, 39-31. Houston beats USF, number 17 in the country, 28-24. I never really bought in USF, so I don't really consider that an upset. Florida State continues to struggle, falling to 2-5 without DeAndre. And then Boston College is now 5-4 and four after beating Florida State. Go Eagles, I'm happy to see them winning again. And then we had Tennessee and Kentucky. That was a good game. That was a wild game. Players were ejected. The refs had their hands full and took did, did a good job controlling that game. Kentucky won 29-26. Now it is time for my top six with the four teams in and the two teams looking in. Number six, I have Notre Dame, 7-1. and one. Number five, I have Penn State, 7-1. and one. Number four, I have Wisconsin, 8-0. Oh. Number three, I have Ohio State, 7-1. and one. Number two, I have Georgia, 8-0, and, no, and number one, none other than Alabama, 8-0. Alabama and Georgia are both self-explanatory. They've dominated everyone they've played. Georgia's only close game was to Notre Dame, who's number six in my rankings. But Ohio State jumps conference rival Wisconsin, as everybody would expect, because when you look at their schedules, Ohio State's is better. It's not by much, though. Ohio State's lone quality win was versus Penn State, and they had a quality loss versus Oklahoma, obviously. Wisconsin has absolutely no quality wins, and they've played some teams a lot closer than they should have. For example, they beat Purdue by eight at home. The offense stalled out in the second half versus Illinois, and there's other examples. Wisconsin deserves to be top four, but just not above Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama. Ohio State has also dominated everyone they were supposed to not named Penn State or Oklahoma. And everyone not named Penn State or Oklahoma has not come within 33 points of Ohio State. That's why they're ranked over Wisconsin, despite Wisconsin being undefeated. I don't put too much value into being undefeated if you really haven't beaten anyone. I don't know whether to put Penn State or Notre Dame at five, but because both of their losses were the top four teams, by both by one point, I gave Penn State the edge because I feel they're the better team. And they lost on the road, while Notre Dame lost at home. Clemson is not top six because the strength of their loss is extremely weak. They lost to Syracuse. In no way does that de- is that deserving of a top six spot and to be ranked over Penn State or Notre Dame, who lost against top four teams, really top three teams, by one point. That's how I think the top six should look. I know it'll look a lot different because the committee always differs from me, but that's just my top six. But really quickly, I want to touch on Florida University, who's fired head coach John McElwain after a disappointing 3-4 and four start, and they're currently riding a three-game losing streak. But this is the, might be the worst knee-jerk reaction I've seen in recent time. This is the same Jim McElwain since taking over the program in 2015 has won every SEC Eastern Division title. Given that it's easier than the West with Alabama in it, and they lost to Alabama twice in the SEC Conference Championship game. This is the same Jim who's 22-12, 16-6 in the SEC having his first real down years of taking over the program. Is he perfect as a coach? No. Does he deserve to be fired? No. Yes, you can't lose to Alabama every year in the SEC championship game, but keep in mind, Alabama is 36-2 and two since, taking over the progr- since, since he took over the program in 2015. No one is beating them. I can cut him some slack right there, but I can't cut him some slack when you consistently get hammered by FSU every year, even though they were going to win this one this year. But losing 27-2 to and 37-13 to is unacceptable to a rival. I can give Florida that, but it's not worth firing the guy. And this seems to be the trend in college football. Not only Florida, I'm just using them as the example. 
But you give a guy three years, sometimes not even the complete three years like they did with Jim here, to completely change the culture of your program to recruit new players and turn and start winning. That's not realistic. Jim is coaching players he didn't recruit. It, he, and he took the same players from 7-5 and five to 10-4. and four. It takes more than three years to rebuild and establish anything as a new head coach. You're not even coaching Jim Harbaugh right now. He's not even coaching his guys for the most part. The guys that Jim really recruited are sophomores and freshmen right now. He hasn't really established a pipeline. These, these, these colleges keep establishing these unrealistic expectations for coaches, and it's not fair. Florida should be forced to pay his full $12.9 million buyout, and that's all I'm going to say. But before I get all worked up on that, let, let's take it over to the NBA. And the Cleveland Cavaliers right now are struggling. They're currently 3-4 and four with losses to the Orlando Magic, the Brooklyn Nets, and the New York Knicks. Should this be a cause for concern? Not one bit. Cleveland is off to a rough start, to say the least. But like the New England Patriots this year, there's a lot of moving parts with Cleveland. The Cavs have seven new players on their roster. Their best perimeter scorer, Isaiah Thomas, is currently out till win. Late January, February, Wade joined the team last minute after being bought out by Chicago. Rose has already missed a handful of games due to an injury. And with seven new players that need to get settled in, you're going to lose some games. LeBron's averaging 25 points a game, nine assists, seven rebounds per game, shooting 59% from the field. So this isn't his fault. LeBron's doing more than he's supposed to right now. He's coming off his seventh straight finals appearance, and he's already playing 37 minutes a night. Good for fifth in the NBA. But once Isaiah Thomas comes back and the players get comfortable in their roles, the Cleveland Cavaliers will be back on top of the East. This should not be a surprise. This should not be, this really shouldn't be a surprise. Any team with majority new players is going to struggle. The Patriots struggled. Their defense looked awful. They had a lot of moving parts. The Cavs have a lot of moving parts. They're going to look awful. Let's not overreact. But let's keep it in the East, talking about Ben Simmons. He didn't play last year due to injury, but he's living up to everything I thought he'd be, and I hyped him up to be. Philly sports? Philly sports? You have a bright future with Carson Big Time once on that football field and Ben Simmons, who's averaging 18 points, 10 rebounds a game, and 8 assists per game while shooting 51% from the field, has already recorded a triple-double. Your future is special, and Ben Simmons is special. He's mature beyond his years. He doesn't take bad shots. He worked hard this summer to improve his shot form, and he has that it factor that many players don't have. A lot of NBA legends don't have this quality, and it's players like Magic Johnson and LeBron James who do have this quality, and it's the quality and the ability to make your teammates better. And if you don't believe me, Jared Bayless, without Ben Simmons, shot 34% from the field and averaged 11 points a game. With Ben Simmons, his shot percentage is up to 46% while averaging 12 a game. Robert Covington, without Ben Simmons, shot 40% from the field and scored 13 points a night. With Ben Simmons, he's shooting 48% and averaging 15 a night. So they're shooting better, they're scoring more, and they're more efficient. Ben Simmons is a once-in-a-generation type of guy. Once he learns how to, yes, he, he does have a weakness and he can't shoot from downtown, but once he, learned, once he learns to shoot from, that, from, from distance, He'll be unstoppable. You can't learn intangibles. You can't learn how to make your teammates better. You can't learn court vision. You can't learn that, that, that elevated level of basketball IQ. These are things guys just know and have a natural feel for during the game. And that's all the qualities Ben Simmons has. And let's not forget about Joel Embiid averaging 21 points a game, 10 rebounds, 3 assists, and a block and a steal per game. These Sixers, they're getting ready to rekindle this Celtic-Sixers rivalry. 
and I can't wait. And since I mentioned the Celtics, let's talk about them too. The Boston Celtics. My goodness, am I impressed. Jason Tatum is amazing. 15 points a game, 6 rebounds per game, 2 assists per game, shooting 51% from the field. And guess what? 50% from 3. If Ben Simmons wasn't a rookie right now, Jason Tatum would be the runaway favorite at the moment. And I mean this whole rookie class is deep. And I remember releasing a video on it and back last, I think it was last November. I got a little bit of pushback. But, I mean, Lonzo Ball, De'Aaron Fox, Kyle Kuzma, uh, Jason Tatum, Dennis Smith Jr. These, these guys are playing amazing ball. And it, 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 really, it, it really impresses me how Jason Tatum has smoothly transitioned from college to the NBA. And I think he's going to be a great player. And when you see players like Jalen Brown, who was a second-year player, he's made a huge jump this season. Doubling stats. I mean doubling. Last year, averaged 7 points a game. He's up to 15 points a game. That's more than doubled. Last year, averaged 3 rebounds per game. He's up to 6 per game. More than doubled. Yes, it has to do with Gordon Hayward being out, but these guys have really stepped up. Jason Tatum transitioned smoothly. Jason Jalen Brown, you can see he spent the time this offseason to become a better player. He's improved his three-point shot. He's improved his jump shot. The one real big-time weakness he had, he's now fixed. Even Kyrie Irving is playing actual defense because head coach Brad Stevens demands it of Kyrie. He's third overall in defensive win shares in the entire NBA. Averaging 22 points per game, two steals per game, and six assists. Watching Kyrie Irving, you can tell that he's a more complete player under Brad Stevens. He's a completely different guy. And we're going to bring it back around with my perspective 10 in my gambler's paradise. But before we talk about that, I want to hit on the Seattle-Houston game. I mean, Deshaun Watson is here, 19 for 30, 402 yards, three passing touchdowns against LOB. He did throw three interceptions, but he played a great game. He didn't shy away from throwing the Sherman side. And he played very well in a great game against a tough defense with Super Bowl pedigree. And this guy is a future star. He, the Texans have found that franchise quarterback to match with that defense. As for Russell Wilson, he did great as we expected. 26 of 41, 452 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. He played great as well. But who was more impressive? I say Deshaun Watson because I know Russell Wilson can play. I know Russell Wilson's elite quarterback. I know Russell Wilson's a Super Bowl caliber quarterback. But Watson, I thought he'd struggle against LOB. He, he, he rose to the occasion. And I was wrong. That game, that was the game of the year. I mean, nonstop action from the beginning. 28 combined first quarter points. Both teams, both defenses got a handful of turnovers. And it was just an overall very entertaining game to watch. And now for my perspective 10. Number one, we have Carson Big Time Wentz. Won a hard-fought game against San Francisco without left tackle Jason Peters. 33-10 was the score, but it didn't really define the game. Nonetheless, the Eagles are still the team to beat in the NFC and really the NFL. They now have Jay Ajayi. They're riding a six-game win streak. This team is dangerous. Number two, we have the Patriots that stayed the same. They made major moves since, tw- since Sunday's 21-13 victory over the L.A. Chargers, but this defense is still looking a lot better. Number three, the Pittsburgh Steelers. They didn't move. Martavis Bryant is still trying to be the biggest distraction he can be, but Mike, ha- Mike Tomlin handled it perfectly. Juju Smith-Schuster is balling out of his mind, and I think he's officially taking Martavis' job as, he's, as he should. And number four, we have the Kansas City Chiefs. They stayed the same over with their victory over Denver last night on Monday Night Football. Relatively... Uh, 
comfortably. Andy Reid is now up to 190 career wins in, with playoffs included. Alex Smith now has 16 touchdown passes, no interceptions, and still leads my MVP race. Number five, we have the LA Rams, who stayed the same. They're on a bye week. Number six, we have the Seattle Seahawks, who skyrocketed up the rankings after defeating Houston. And I know, I know, I know they beat the Rams, but literally they're one spot below them. And I feel that LA really won that game because if Cooper Cup catches that catchable pass, they would have beaten Seattle. Number seven, we have the Vikings down from six. They beat Cleveland in dominant fashion, 33-16. Number eight, we have the Buffalo Bills, who were not ranked, who dominated the Oakland Raiders in the rain and continue to surprise me. Number nine, we have the Atlanta Falcons, who stayed the same. They didn't move after an unimpressive win over the New York Jets, 25-20, to to avoid going 0-4 versus the AFC East. And number 10, we have the Houston Texans, who stayed the same, because I'm not going to punish them for losing a close game to a good team. Now for Gambler's Paradise. Last week I was 2-1. and one. The Saints covered the 5.5-point spread versus Chicago. I was wrong. The Steelers covered the 3-point spread versus the Lions. I was right. And the Seahawks didn't cover that 5.5-point spread versus the Texans, although I thought it would be low scoring. It was high scoring, but I still got it right. And this week, I'm trying to go 3-0 and again. That brings my record overall record to 11-9 on the year. But Kansas City and Dallas is a pick em. And I'm going to go ahead and pick Kansas City. Dallas without Zeke, meaning the offense will become one-dimensional, forcing Dak to throw more than 30 times. And we all know that Dak Prescott is not the most efficient quarterback throwing more than 30 times. He's 6-4 and four in those games. And up next, we have the Jags, minus 5 versus Cincinnati. Jacksonville is going to dominate Cincinnati. Cincinnati couldn't move the ball in Indianapolis's defense. Saxonville is going to get to Andy Dalton, and don't be surprised if they catch multiple interceptions. And then the Eagles, minus seven, will not cover that spread versus Denver this weekend. Yes, Philly is much improved. Yes, they're my NFC favorite. Yes, I think they're going to the Super Bowl. But Denver's defense is no cupcake, and they'll be able to get the Wentz more, more than he's comfortable with because left tackle Jason Peters is not there. The Eagles win the game, but not more than seven. This has been the From My Perspective podcast. I hope you enjoyed.